Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another beautiful march in Wisconsin, which means, folks, it's going to be blizzard-like, and then it'll also potentially be 70 degrees. So enjoy it. I know yesterday was gorgeous. We record Thursday morning. Uh, as you're listening to this, if you're in southern Wisconsin, you may be getting hit with winter. But again, we remind you, you do not come here for the weather. You come here to hear from Robert Craig, our executive director, who joins us this week. Robert, good to have you. Good to be here. And this is very good March weather. You know, it's <laughs> one of the upsides of otherwise catastrophic climate change. It's more like a St. Louis yeah. or Pittsburgh winter, way further uh, south. But uh, nonetheless, it's still not spring. 50 degrees on March 1st yesterday, I'd have to say it was, uh, it was, it was beautiful. The sun was out. So people, we have a lot to talk about. Um, I'm gonna, before we jump into this, I am going to just say we are going to be joined later in the show for a really excellent discussion uh, with Michelle Mackey, who's the executive director of Kids Forward. We're going to talk with her about their organization's decision, which we think is really important, and we're on a similar path, a transition to be an anti-racist organization. We'll talk more with Michelle later in the show about that. What does that mean? And the great work, obviously, that Kids Forward does. Plus, I just add, they're the state budget experts. I sometimes call them our fiscal bureau. So I think we'll be able to get into some some deeper, deeper analysis of some of the elements of the state budget, what's really important in it. That's right. And we may have Michelle and folks from their team on as we go forward through the state budget process, but we're thrilled that she's going to join us later in the show. Robert, before we get to that, though, I do want to talk about some local stuff, both. I want to talk about the state Supreme Court race, because there was one thing in particular I want to make sure I get your comment on. The other is we do have to talk about now that uh, the primary is over and we got at least a couple week breather, the state budget is continuing to heat up. And Robin Voss has made some comments this week, Republicans, that I want to get your 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 thoughts on. But, Robert, I, I, I do want to start with the Supreme Court and. The big the big story this week, in addition to. There's no rest for the wicked, the campaign ads literally launched the day after the election as we were recording last week um, and they've been blistering we already have a record there's been more spending in this supreme court election i believe than any supreme court election in the country robert i think already i don't think that's probably the case i'm i we know for sure in wisconsin but it's um it's a stunning amount you've been witnessing it the ads are running they're almost entirely all anti-crime ads. We, before we dive into that, I do want to get you the big, the big sort of story this week, which is important, and that's about recusals on the court. This has been a huge issue, and it's an, a more important issue as these races have historic amounts of spending because it means we have significant conflicts of interest in how judges end up on a court. And then who they're going to see. And, and Robert, I want to get your comments. Um, basically, what happened is Janet Protasiewicz said that when questioned at a forum, said that she would recuse herself, for example, if the Democratic Party had a, um, 
a case before the court because she knows they are heavily supporting her 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 effort or anyone else right she would cons- she would recuse herself however justice kelly said no he said that he would look at each particular case which folks basically if you're you might as well just say i'm going to if it ever if it's ever people i care deeply about n- namely my rich corporate backers i will be there for them robert this just shows right in a nutshell this is a critically important issue because it shows the different values, core values of the kind of justice you're looking for. It also belies the crap that Kelly was spewing that somehow, you know, Protosayowitz is, you know, too aligned with, you know, uh, Democrats and, and he somehow is independent. It's, it's absurd. He is, he is a beholden to his donors, Robert. Well, Maybe we'll be naive about this, Matt. So, well, first of all, we should be aware that recusal is not a word any of us that anyone understands out of our political insiders. They might think it's a type of recital um, unless they're in the law or in politics um, or, or a close observer, which, are, which which a good number of people are, but where even they are a subculture. So, but further beyond that, I mean, Matt, what do you think the money's for? I mean, why does Richard Eline want to put in 20, 30, 40 million? It wouldn't make much sense to buy a Supreme Court justice and then not be able to get anything out of him. You know, it's just like this is this is the marketplace. This is the implication of Citizens United. They declared without evidence the U.S. Supreme Court that it does not lead to corruption to allow people to give unlimited money to empower the greediest corporations and the ultra rich the ones that are greedy, the ones that intervene in this way, uh, in order where there's no not enough money. It's not enough to be have intergenerational wealth for Richard Eline and Diane Hendricks. They need more and more and more, apparently. Don't know why. And so the, he's their representative. And so he's made this clear. When he was a Supreme Court justice, he reversed himself on a recusal once it was going to impact his election and then went and got involved. And we know that the previous right-wing Supreme Court has consistently gone involved in cases of people who put them on the court to do things like save Scott Walker and change election law when he had shredded it during the recall election. So I'm glad this has come out is at least somewhat of an issue. I don't know if we'll see it on TV. We're still seeing completely unnecessary tough on crime ads that aren't even where the public is that trash our Supreme Court election from both sides. So I'll point that out. But at least Janet stood up there and indicated that she would recuse herself in the case Democratic Party. Now, they're going to call hypocrisy when she is elected. If we do our job, she'll be elected. And everything they can extrapolate out. See, she didn't recuse. She didn't recuse because they have no stable standards. They're about power. They're about tearing anything down in its way and power for wealth and money and taking everything. Yeah, look, the the recusal issue and thank you for pointing out the word is probably challenging uh, for most of us but i i do think the concept is very simple and it's very clear to most people and this gets to the heart of what when i've been doing calls indoors so far i've heard from people and it's the number one thing robert is they basically say that they they they're tired of the court knowing what the decision the verdict's going to be before 
it even comes out because of the political implications, right? And because of just sort of the hypocrisy around its role. And, and, and so this really lays bare that in, 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 when you admit, and especially for a guy like Kelly, where his resources are coming in some cases from like one dude, you know, we talked about this on a previous pot previous podcast. He said, he's going to spend like $20 million. That's a, that in alone is a historic amount. And, and so, and by the way, I'm talking about you line. Um, and we know others are also investing and they are saying they're going to continue to spend. And we're starting to see these ads. That's the word investing. They're not, <laughs> not free speech. It's investing. And this is legalized corruption. It's legal yes. bribery. Absolutely. Totally legalized bribery. But this, again, super important to point out, given everything that's going on. And uh, we want to remind our listeners, we have launched a, a significant field effort um, that we are doing in this race. Um, we're on the phones every Monday night from 5 to 730 we ask that you join us. I'm going to put a link into how you can volunteer with us. We had some folks on from California <laughs> this week. It was great. We kicked off. We had well over a dozen people on. It was fantastic. Um, and I want to encourage you to get involved. We have said this. This is not a this is a participatory sport. We need your involvement. And these these conversations we're having are with a lot of folks that share our values. We just need to make sure they know the election's happening and that they're not confused or debilitated by the trashy ads. And we get them out to vote. It's fun, important work. And we're trying to get people to join Citizen Action, get off the couches, off the social digitals and into our communities, Robert. And you might ask yourself, why would someone from California want to call into Wisconsin? Because in our very strange federalist system, Wisconsin has more power in the in the future democracy than California, despite California being a nation state in its size. And so we're, we just happen to be blessed by one of the handful of states that decides everything. This Supreme Court race determines whether Wisconsin's electors will be fairly, uh, 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 you know, uh, appointed by the by the election, for example, and whether there's a legislature that will just intervene and take over and support the Republican. And you live in Wisconsin. It's not like, well, you shouldn't see this as eat your broccoli obligation. You have this tremendous opportunity to have a bigger role, to have a lot more than one vote. And we need to offer people the opportunity. We need to invite them in rather than make it sound like we're sending them to boot camp. Absolutely. I'm telling you, these conversations are invigorating. We're moving people to join this organization. And like I said, get off the couch post COVID. Uh, we all need a little kick in the keister to like align our values with our actions. And let's just remember marinating that this weekend or as we go to break that folks from California are calling. What are you doing? Please join us, get involved. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. You can find us at Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We spent the first episode there, a little segment talking all about the Supreme Court race. Super important. Again, folks, please get involved. But Robert, I want to I, I want to talk to you about 
<laughs> I'm going to say Robin Voss because he seems to be the head the head donkey in charge of the um, the clown show over there on the uh, legislative side. I think he's and, an elephant rather than. Donkey. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'm just I'm I'm mixing it all up here. But <laughs> the reality is, yes, is I I won't say what he is, but he he is not credible. First of all, I want to remind our listeners is not this is a gerrymandered illegitimate legislative leader who has been proposing tax cuts for the wealthy for the last month running around this week had the audacity to go out first lecture the city of Milwaukee and cities about budgeting when this guy this week also gave more money Robert to that phony election review review that um Michael Gableman is leading, right? That that's a that's a great fiscal boondoggle. This of the party that refuses to accept Medicaid money, and then again this week is talking about Medicaid shortfalls. It's just ridiculous. Um, but Robert, he's trying to suggest somehow there isn't money to do some of the major priorities that we absolutely need, including massive, significant increases in revenue for our municipalities and our schools, and Right. And <laughs> all the other things that we all know are important related. We talked about health care. Robert, um, this is Voss is making it very clear. This state budget is going to be nasty. It is it is going to be major disagreements. And I'm just going to say, I hope the governor, I know they are paying attention. I hope they're fixing for a fight come May and June, Robert. So you see peeling back the layers they always say that the reason they don't want to invest in popular things that would improve prosperity and opportunity and is because there's not the money but i think we know the lie they don't want to spend on them and they have to always say there's not the money you have austerity messaging coming during an historic budget surplus at a time where we're leaving tons of money on the table um, in, in a couple different ways, which I'll get to. And it's because it, it's embarrassing. He's trying to say that there isn't money for things when there is because they're just against it. They want to starve city and county and school district government. They don't believe in them, right? They don't believe in public health programs. They think that you're only virtuous if you have a job that provides good health insurance. And then they don't care whether you can use it because Half of Wisconsinites, most of them insured, are, are skipping needed medical care anyway because they can't afford the co-pays, the deductibles, and the co-insurance, but the insurance money flows in for Robin Voss and his caucus. He was part of giving away massive amounts of money. We did we, we did massive corporate tax cuts under Walker that he led, and they're still sitting out there. He did. He's done a series of regressive uh, taxes that mostly went to the ultra-wealthy and is proposing more. And they'd like to go to a flat tax. Then he stands out there and says, we don't have the money. Yeah, we don't, because there's a conspiracy to make sure we don't have the money. And it's led by Robin Voss. Robert. And so think about it. Care expansion, it would bring in over $600 million. We are paying money to give out less health care. He, he has already ruled that out as partisan. Well, he's the one who defined health care and giving folks who can't get good insurance at work. Uh, and our low income access to health care as partisan. None of us forced him to do that. 
it's who he is and who they are. Robert, did you see this week too? He added, he added one more doozy toll roads. He says we need toll roads because we don't have enough money. It's like, so we're going to have tax cuts to the super wealthy and Hey, all you suckers, you pay tolls. It's just like, it's, I, I can't believe well, I just had coffee with a really great organizer that's working for labor in Wisconsin uh, yesterday. And he came, he's from Wisconsin originally, but he came back from New York and he has a hybrid and he couldn't believe he has to pay a lot more to register the vehicle because they put a tax on hybrids on top of a perverse incentive. We want you to guzzle gas and fossil fuel. It's a positive good. That is that is Walker and Voss's Wisconsin. Well, look, this is this is I, I, I've been we've been talking about this, and I I think it's important for us as progressives to hold a couple of things at once, and that is we we need Governor Evers because he is our only agent in this who has any power, and I would argue. He has the most power in this budget battle because he is a statewide elected, the only one in this drama who is, and they have to, i.e. the legislative leaders, need him to sign the budget. So they have to come to an agreement. It's leverage. And so we need to understand that, yes, we are heading into the legislative phase of the budget where we're going to have joint finance committee hearings, and we're going to have a lot of stuff right after that where um, that the assembly and the Senate get it, and it's going to make it all be about the legislature for a while. And I am imploring you, we need to continue to talk to the governor. And, and please, you know, um, we're going to have Michelle Mackey on later. She's going to talk about some priorities in the state budget. We need to support those and let the governor know. So keep listening because the governor's the one who's going to have to fight this fight. Unfortunately, the Democrats in the legislature will not have any ability to really lead that fight. We're all going to need to be as aggressive as possible with the legislature to make sure we put wind in the governor's sails. But at the end of the day, we're going to be the governor's going to be asked probably to to do things with this Republican budget that he did not do the last cycles. And we need to, as progressives, be prepared to do that and do that and understand we can do that and still be strong allies of this governor. Robert? Yeah, I, I say this all the time that there's a necessary coalition between the moderate and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And the transformation we need is we need the party to keep becoming more progressive as it has over the last six years. Though Wisconsin's behind the National Democratic Party, which is not traditionally the case. And so we need to as allies, get Evers to be bolder the way President Biden has in his first two years and keep moving him along. We did positive news. We're going to have positive news later in this podcast about some bold things Evers did in the budget that we haven't talked about yet with our guest, Michelle Mackey. But I'm saying we they, that we're in relationship. We need to keep the uh, the wind at his sails and the friendly pressure, the, the 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 love, but also the we need more with Governor Evers because he needs to use his constitutional authority, Matt, because yeah. they're going to use all of theirs. They're going to they're already starting. The term is base budget. That means starting with the last budget, ignoring what the governor proposed, 
none of the good things in his budget are going to be in the budget they consider. He then needs to use his tremendous leverage because we have a governor with the strongest veto in the country and hold their things up in return for getting the advances he wants. And if he doesn't do that, he's letting them have all the power. And we can't do that anymore. And the Democratic coalition needs to stop doing that. Not just Evers, that's a broader Democratic problem nationally in other states and here. Yeah, and and I just think it's going to be important that he sends some very clear messages in the Joint Finance Committee process and throughout this process to the legislature what he will and will not accept and do it in a way where the public is brought along. We need to have a, a public education campaign so that when this seems like it happens all of a sudden in June after the Republicans' budget is done, um, the public will be brought along. And the other piece here is we need to start, you know, letting school school districts and local, you know, know that their money may be held up for a bit because he's going to fight for the resources they need and not the crumbs that the Republicans are likely to offer the, our school districts, which desperately need money in addition to the to the to the shared revenue. So, folks. We're going to continue to talk about this. We think it's really super important, Robert. And I'll just say, we have one veto threat right now from the governor. Okay, I'm not saying it's time for all the threats. We want him to be willing to do it and decide the right strategic time to point these things out, perhaps when they're doing each provision of the budget and joint finance committee. Absolutely. But he has said he will veto a flat tax. Okay, but what he hasn't said is, he will veto a nearly flat tax. And <laughs> and they've talked about Illinois, which is nearly a flat tax and has damaged a state and was the reasons it's behind other blue states like New York and, and California in a lot of ways. And they they have it embedded in their constitution. They keep trying to change it and they keep losing because of big billionaire money and, and being stuck with a really regressive tax system. Our possible Republicans think that's a great idea. I think it should be this. And, you know, this is our, my little... My little message to the governor, you should say that you will veto any tax bill that does not give most of the benefits to people who, the, the, for the lowest income and, and, and working, working Wisconsinites. And you should say that you won't you will veto anything that gives, reduces taxes for anyone. You pick the income threshold. Looking at Wisconsin average income, I'd say over 100 for an individual, 150 for a family, I think the four hundred thousand for Biden is too too high. That's well, that's really high on the income scale, but something, and then do it, and not just say that it's pretty squir- uh, uh, squishy to say I'll I'll veto a fully flat tax, but I'm open to a whole lot of regressive income tax cuts well, that are not a fully flat tax. Well, look, this is going to be a critical point, and I, I I'll just say it got a lot more serious for for the governor when he decided he was going to finance uh sports owners uh i.e the bucks or excuse me the brewers and this week we just found out the new milwaukee private soccer arena is going to also have state funding so if they're going to get funding you better fight we need a fight on the core pieces that um, we need for our priorities so folks we're going to continue to watch and track this And if you're wondering, this is my little tip to you before we go to break. If you're wondering why this brewer's uh, maintenance all of a sudden just suddenly seemed to appear out of nowhere. Well, if you've been tracking what's happening, um, Bally's is about to go belly up, who provides a significant chunk of the brewer's revenue. Um, MLB's, as of now, it's in the 
paper today planning to take over all the rights for television from like half of their markets. And this stuff's going to probably eventually start streaming, which has significant impacts for the brewer's revenue. So uh, that's part of what I think is going on here. But folks, this is all very complicated. The public interest is what we're about. Folks, we've got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. In the back end of this, we will be joined by Michelle Mackey from Fits Forward. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're super excited to welcome our next guest. That is Michelle Mackey. She's the ED with Kids Forward. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be with you all. Well, we talk about your group a lot because Robert likes to call you uh, like the uh, the fiscal bureau for the state budget for for organizations so that we can actually find out uh, where the money is, how's it moving. And so we talk about you a lot uh, and love your organization's work. But we wanted to have you on today, in particular, in addition to just um, talking more about your organization, especially and with the state budget coming up. But we, uh, one of the things we were really impressed with your organization is your transition that you're going through as an organization to become an anti-racist organization, which is some is a journey we're on too. And so uh, we just wanted to share today. And so I just open up first of all, just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and just a little bit about kids forward. And then we'll dive in later to the anti-racist stuff, but just um, introduce yourself to our listeners. And if they don't know, if they haven't been listening, who kids forward is. Great. Thank you very much. Yes. So I'm not a native Wisconsinite. I uh, came to Wisconsin about 15 years ago, started out in policy work with the Coalition of Wisconsin Aging Groups and um, the uh, Helen Marks Dix, who went on to run the red shirt. So uh, she really um, galvanized me in the power of the people, um, which then led me to learn about John Peacock and the people's budget, uh, which many of your listeners may be uh, familiar with. Um, and I spent a little bit of time at COWS. I'm still a senior fellow there, the Center on Wisconsin Strategy. Um, so uh, deeply involved in um, labor rights, economic justice, um, and um, even uh, community development in rural parts of Wisconsin. Uh, wound up working with Ken Taylor, first as a member of the board, because they had started working on racial equity and trying to embed that in the organization. Uh, he convinced me to join the team as uh, his co-lead. Uh, with me really focusing on transitioning the organization to having racial equity be in everything we did. Um, and then I think like most organizations and most people in this work, um, 2020 really taught us the impacts of systemic racism, um, you know, from George Floyd and his murder, all the way to the health inequities we were seeing as our healthcare systems broke down and some people, uh, you know, people of color had worse impacts under COVID, uh, watching uh, immigrants uh, suffer in our meatpacking plants. So we, um, when Ken Taylor decided to move on um, from being executive director and uh, I spoke to the board about assuming the role of CEO, ED. 
Um, I, I challenge the board and the organization to really think about if we want to push beyond um, thinking of ourselves sort of in the middle of the spectrum, focusing in on racial equity, um, to really becoming anti-racist um, and being out front and unapologetic about that. Uh, recognizing that anti-racism is not just about black and brown folks, um, but is also about poor rural white folks and the impact of the racist systems on them. So, so that's how we got here at Kids Board, and I look forward to talking to you more about it. Robert? Let me ask you, uh, I missed the big announcement. You had a big event in the fall, mm -hmm. as I recall, and it was one of those weeks, but um, you were announcing becoming, I think the term was an anti-racist policy center. So what does that mean as far as policy? How do you look at policy differently than say, a lot of the very good progressive groups that are uh, quite frankly, more in the race neutral lens with 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 a class kind of analysis of 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 equality. Yeah, that's a great question, um, Robert. Uh, you know, I think historically, Kids Forward has always been anti-poverty. And we have always used a class-based analysis, and we continue to do that. However, we now really lean into two, three things that are a bit different for us. One is that we listen to community really, really closely. You know, we were sort of the traditional research center, uh, research kind of think tank policy center, where we would go in our offices, we were experts at what we did, and we would think really deeply. And occasionally we'd go out and ask a person in the community what they thought of the thing we'd already written. But now we really start with community and impacted folks and impacted children and families and listening to what their priorities are, what their solutions are, because they live with these systems day in and day out. And the, you know, the second thing is we, we are race forward in our, in our, in our um, publications now. Sometimes, you know, we might lead with a little bit of a class-based analysis just to get the reader, you know, going along with us, but um, we don't shirk from uh, mentioning the impact that policies and systems have on people of color in this state. Their voice has not been considered. Um, they've been left behind for all too, too long. So we really make a point of, of carrying that piece of the policy work. We know others are working on, you know, sort of the universalist approach. Um, and then finally, you know, we go back out to community and we, um, we have them review our stuff. We um, engage with them. We really are trying to take a solidarity approach in the sort of, you know, traditional labor union sense of that word and stand with community. Um, so it's a work in progress. You know, we have a lot of systems we have to build together um, to, to make that all happen and come together, but we're excited about the transition. So I'm curious, how has it uh, changed so far? I know it's a transition and I know, you know, and I, I'm a big fan of John Peacock's yes. as well, that a classic John Peacock budget brief would somewhere in there talk about how it's even worse, marginalized <laughs> people of color, but it wouldn't be the central frame, right? Um, though clearly for a lot of us, we were scanning down looking for that, right? It was there and John felt deeply about it. It was just an older style of how to approach this. Right. And so, um, and I, I appreciate what you said about bringing people in, in other words, starting in a way that gets them reading because I do think we need to persuade people and meet them where they are, but then transform them, not leave them where they are, right? But also, right. Right. but not start so advanced with language it just makes them not read it. Yes, absolutely. Right? 
And so, and that's a process too, because a lot of people assume there are things we can't say, which we actually can, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's not grounded in actual reactions or it's grounded in reactions to people will never persuade. There's a 25% that's unpersuadable and we're, that's not who we're thinking about in, in audience analysis. But how does this change your uh, policy? I don't know if you want to, you have any examples of policies you've looked at differently or elements of this state budget uh, that you've that you've thought about differently and you and I and and you included some of the thing um, uh, some members of your staff in asking about how good the child care investment is by Governor Evers because he's continuing something that was done in an emergency basis in the pandemic and I was curious how equitable really is that program and I my and you, I know you'll explain it better than I do but the way I took it is it's a step forward, but it's not all the way we need it to be. And so we need to save it, but then it needs to get a lot better and more intentional about the parents who have even have the most challenges being able to put together childcare, quality childcare. Correct. So I think uh, childcare investment uh, that you brought up for a very long time, the state has has not has relied on federal funds only and has not put in any state funds. So I, we think it's you know we've always advocated for the state putting in some money to make sure that this childcare system is stable and um, functioning well. The one the areas that Kids Forward works on on behalf of children and, and families of color and quite frankly providers of color. Um, is making sure that once though that, that funding is in, is that it trickles down through the administration and then out the door in a way that benefits providers of color. We know that um, women and Black women in particular run a lot of childcare uh, facilities and they tend to disproportionately uh, not receive the resources that they need. Um, we have a lot of women of color in home-based home care um, and a lot of families of color prefer home-based care because that type of care reflects their culture, right? Um, but it's really hard in home-based care to meet all the qualifications for Young Star, for example, so that you get the maximum amount of funding. So those are the areas that we work on. We, we do sort of an inside-outside game, right? Where we try and push for the, the perfect uh, bill at the legislature, but we also work within DCF. We also work with providers and WECA, for example, the providers uh, professional association uh, to to try shore up the system through the entire uh, spectrum. So um, so that's just one example of how we're doing things differently. I think traditionally, because Ford has really just focused on getting the right bill passed in the legislature. And I know we're going to take a break now, but we'll pick it up. I'm also interested in how these policies move, because I think you have much deeper analysis of how policy is actually made than might be what you see reading a newspaper. So, And folks, with that, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us all over the digital spaces, wherever you like to hang. We're in, <laughs> we're in uh, Twitter world, Facebook, Instagram. But of course, folks, you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're really fortunate to be joined by Michelle Mackey from Kids Forward. We're talking about the state budget. We're also talking about the evolution 
uh, becoming an anti-racist organization, which Kids Forward is on. And how does that exactly impact the kind of policy that they advocate for? And uh, Robert, you were just yeah. uh, carrying on that conversation. Let's Let keep that going. Up. I mean, and it's partly because of the lane we're in, but just the way people think about this, we don't have the capacity to get deep with agencies. So we're setting the agenda on the outside, getting people organized and in motion. But we know since we are deeply invested in healthcare as a right, human right rather than a commodity and uh, uh, trying to agenda set on the horrendous racial disparities we have in healthcare, especially when you look at Milwaukee, um, that there's a lot of policy made at the agency level. That Governor Evers is not making all the policies. There's too much going on. He makes a lot of critical decisions, but a lot of the propositions come, and then the implementation of even what he does comes at the agency level. So you mentioned Department of Children and Families, which would be where the rubber meets the road on the child care program. How do you engage them? Because you can, even the governor could even intend something better than it, it becomes once, say, I'll take another agency, his Department of Transportation gets a hold of it, which we've seen on climate and the, and the implementation of the of the Biden agenda here in Wisconsin. And we don't know if Evers is aware of what they're not doing or not, right? Right, right. Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that question about um, how we engage within the agencies. You know, certainly we do um, sort of the traditional um, talk to the secretary, talk to the secretary staff, um, sometimes get asked our uh, guidance around the nuances of policy, because you're exactly right. It's about the implementation very often that determines whether or not uh, the uh, a bill will actually trickle down into folks not having disparate impact. Um, and so we, we have for a long time advised on Young Star, the quality rating system. One of the things we've been advocating for the past maybe four or five years is to really look at what the definition of quality is. Quality um, certainly does mean you know, safe environments, educated uh, providers, that sort of thing. But when you add in these cultural elements, how do we embed that in the definition of quality? Right. So we will talk to uh, families of color. We will get their stories on our website. We have the stories of providers and, and parents of color talking about what they've experienced in the childcare system. And we provide those stories then to agency um, leads and, and policymakers, um, not just to legislators as a way to like encourage them to pass the right bill, which is, I think, a traditional, sort of more traditional way of doing it. The other thing I want to highlight about our work with DCF is that um, the secretary of DCF had this very um, innovative idea to have a set of parents, uh, multiracial parents, parents from across the, the state come as sort of just a, a talking, a touchstone for uh, her and um, someone that she could come and talk with and they would be engaged around policy and investments in different areas of the DCF system and just give their feedback. And what we have found, we have um, several parents from across the state, um, and what we found is they know the system so well, like the very first meeting, they're talking about Young Star and naming it for what it is. And they're just digging in on quality ratings, right? And so it's just been, we've been, it's been in existence about a year this month. And so it has really worked out well to provide uh, 
a good touch point, I think, for the agency on what's really happening on the ground. I mean, that rings true for me. When I worked at SEIU, I was the point person on creating a legal capacity for home care workers to have unions. And working with the home care workers themselves, you found out that you actually were learning more about how the policy doesn't work than the experts in the Department of Health, Health Services knew. And so there really is, we, we rate this knowledge as expert knowledge. I have this degree, right? I have this credential. Well, who would know more? We, we, we underrate the real knowledge, just like I'm, this is true with childcare workers too. We call people who care, who do caring work unskilled. That's a skill a lot of us people with credentials don't have and couldn't have. It's, it's, a, it's a skill that we undervalue, partly because it's been, it, it's been part of women's work and therefore decommodified and seen as something that's just be given, not paid for, right? So there's all sorts bedded in, embedded in this. In our remaining time, Michelle, I thought, because I don't, I will be less leading here, are there things in the state budget that would really have a big impact? on racial equity that that we're not thinking about or maybe you give a finer point on things we are thinking about but we don't we don't we don't fully understand the, the you know why they're so important so robert, I, robert can i add one layer one additional yeah, yeah, layer because yeah. yeah, i yeah. really would appreciate michelle's thought on this because we're th um a lot of times in the state budget fight we also think about like the fight with the republicans but i think this could be the first time where it's a question of who, what what should we as progressives really be leaning into with the governor that he might need to fight for in a, shall we say, battle come summer that we ought to start to really be thinking deeply about in terms of lobbying him to fight for? Because we know the republic, like we have, we sort of know where this dance is going. So I'm interested in that. Right. Um, Unless Michelle has information we don't about there. <laughs> yes. So anyways, I know that's a lot, but you've got you've got six minutes no. <laughs> <laughs> well um so uh the first part of the question um i think we were very excited to see paid leave um we didn't I, our you know our feelers in the in the ether didn't necessarily uh tell us that that was coming and so we were very excited to see that i think that would be just fundamental shift for this state if we could make traction on paid leave. And on the Republican point, at least, that is something that we should be able to get bipartisan support. Uh, the, the challenges of getting workers uh, you know, in this state right now are very significant. And to know that employers, um, you know, are, are committed to, to families and committed to workers being able to care for their families um, in this state will attract people, um, I think, to this state, attract families and attract them for the long haul. So I just want to say that we're very excited about uh, paid family leave. So uh, if we could uh, all get around that one, that would be great. And then in terms of, you know, really being able to support the governor in, in areas that might be a challenge. Um, we think that the postpartum expansion, so, you know, Medicaid um, currently allows for birthing parents to have 90 days of coverage. Right now, the governor has for it to go to a year. That is absolutely critical. And it is absolutely critical on an equity basis. We know that Black women in this state um, have 
egregious, horrific maternal health outcomes. Um, they are dying um, in childbirth at, at, at an incredible rate. Um, they have been for many, many years. Our colleagues at the Foundation for Black Women's Wellness works on this issue day in and day out, has been at the governor's office advocating. And I think that we need to join organizations like that um, and really um, keep up that support. And it needs to extend to undocumented folks and it needs to extend to folks who are incarcerated right now because you know these are babies we're talking about. These are mothers, right? So, folks, I hope you just heard that. That was outstanding. That's exactly what I was looking for. And please, that we need that we need to get to a year. Make sure that you reach out not only to your state legislators, but to the governor's office and let him know that that is a piece in the budget you want him to fight for. Right. I think it's important for him to hear that. Thank you, this Michelle. Is, any any and, others? And, yeah. and I was going to say, this, and for let me just add, and for family medical leave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yes. we're honest about Governor Evers. He's a necessary ally, but we point out when he hasn't come far enough, we need to give him credit when he's come further. So it's you're right about postpartum care. That is, Great. you know, he, he is pushing the envelope there. Um, fa paid family medical leave as well. I know you know very well Mary Butari, the chief yes. of staff to Mayor uh, Satya in Madison. <laughs> She and I were the Bernie Sanders platform committee members in 2016, and it was the first big debate. Uh, uh, Mary was the sponsor. I was the defender, the seconder of the of the paid family medical leave mm -hmm. position that the Hillary campaign and Hillary put out the order to kill at platform committee and keep out of the Democratic platform. So for a very moderate Democrat like Evers to go there, mm -hmm. and I looked as soon as it came out, and it was you know, the best structure that occurs in other states and uses a lot of surplus money to get started, but then has sustainable funding. Right. So we want to give him credit for that and put a wind in his sails. But I know we only have, Matt was asking, we have one minute. If there's anything else you want to call out in a minute. I would just say driver's licenses for all. Um, oh, absolutely. Yes. Vosis is, is, is in that Vosis Taylor Frontera is starting their campaign um, to go for driver's licenses for all again this year. Um, it was in the budget um, and undocumented folks uh, need to get their families to, um, to the doctor, just like everybody else. They need to get groceries. Um, and we're talking about their children. Uh, we're not talking about any decisions or anything else um, that parents have made. We're just talking about families trying to make it um, in a newfound country. So um, driver's licenses are, is, a, is a very um, easy lift. We used to have it. We got rid of it. We've had it in the state. Let's get it back. Well, Michelle, give our listeners any information that you think they need if they want to learn more about kids for it or support your work or read or, read or your get policy, involved read your right? policy get, documents read your policy right? get involved yeah. let them know how to go about all that yeah you can find at us at www.kidsforward.org and also check out Reimagine Wisconsin. Um, it's reimaginewi.org. Um, and that is our budget platform. Um, and we'll be you know, updating it uh, routinely. You can also Google Wisconsin Budget Project for the more nitty gritty stuff on policy. <laughs> so Michelle, I'm an organizer by trade, which means here comes the ask. Yes. We want you to come back on our show and talk about the state budget as we go through, as these things are moving, 
um, because we think this is a critical juncture for the, for Governor Evers. What happens in this state budget, his third, is important, and he, we would really like to see him leverage his mandate that he won as the only statewide player in this uh, drama, this budget drama. And we think you all have a lot to offer, and we just so. I'm asking you to come back. That's all I'm asking. I'd love to. And we also have a new policy director. So maybe Ooh. I'll introduce you to her. That would be fantastic. <laughs> and we'd be, we'd love to have that person be a regular also. Awesome. Uh, but Michelle, we, we'll take you whenever we can get you. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much. Well, folks, we got to wrap this up. We want to thank again, Michelle, for coming and telling us about all the great work. And again, the journey that they're on that we think a lot of us need to be on. Try to become an anti-racist organization, but we thank Michelle for joining us. We always thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the Battleground Wisconsin happen. Folks, stay engaged. Get off the couch. Get off the digitals. Get into your communities. Volunteer with us. Talk to people. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We'll see you next week.